Mountain Town Cora by Ivory Harlow. I, wah, wah, Cora's alarm sounded. She pushed a mess of chestnut curls out of her dark eyes to see the time. 6.30 a.m. workday. Ugh, she thought. This year, Cora made a New Year's resolution to go to bed earlier. It lasted about as long as her other resolution to drink less. Wine to wind down was a vicious cycle. A glass of Cabernet Sauvignon turned her brain off after a stressful day at the bank, but one glass led to two, then three. She stayed up drinking and streaming television. Last night, she binge-watched the last season of Ted Lasso while reflecting on why Lasso's folksy, optimistic leadership style was effective with soccer players and why her authoritative, goal-driven style failed to reach her team of bank employees. Cora took a deep breath and launched her tired body out of bed for another day and another literal dollar as Mountain Town Bank manager. Mountain Town Bank is a community bank, both physically smaller and with fewer financial assets than urban banks. Although people in both rural and urban areas are equally likely to have bank accounts, bank customers in rural areas have lower incomes. They are more likely to own their home and vehicle and less likely to have money in retirement accounts or own stocks and mutual funds. Despite these facts, residents depended on Mountain Town's only bank to conduct all of their financial business. As a result, the little bank buzzed with activity from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Cora made it a practice to come in six days a week. On Saturdays, she caught up on managerial work when the bank was quiet and without interruptions. She was at the top of the organizational chart at the local level. Nobody told her to do so or even expected her to, yet she sacrificed every weekend and resented every other employee for it. When was the last time you had a full weekend? Blake, the branch's loan officer, asked, If I don't do the work, it doesn't get done. Cora answered sharply. Blake shrugged. He was the only employee who didn't take her all-work, no-play attitude personally or at least recognized her moodiness had nothing to do with him or his performance at work. Besides Blake, Cora supervised three bank tellers. Lida was the head teller. She had worked for Mountain Town Bank since 2001 when the bank holding company, known as Mountain Bank Shares, Inc., formed. Lida was past retirement age but had no plans to retire. She and Cora butt heads since Cora's first day on the job eight years earlier. Cora had to admit that Lida knew the ins and outs of running the customer-facing aspects of the bank. Lida made things run smoothly and placed minimal demands on Cora as a supervisor. On the other hand, Lida acted like her tenure permitted her to take liberties at work. She wore sneakers with dress pants, took extended lunch breaks, and gossiped with bank staff and customers in the lobby. That morning, when Cora arrived at work, Lida was distributing tender cash from the safe. Lida nodded to acknowledge her as she walked past the tellers, preparing their drawers. Good morning, the other tellers chimed politely. Cora went straight to the break room and emptied half the coffee pot into her 32 ots tumbler. Lida entered the room. I need to leave at 1 p.m. today. Okay. Cora peered at Lida over her sunglasses. She was not ready to face the fluorescent lights just yet. Did you submit a leave request in the employee portal? She already knew the answer was no. Lida hated and refused to use the new technology, despite the corporate mandate. Lida waved her hand dismissively. I don't know how to do any of that. Sure you do. If you forgot how to submit a leave request in the portal, there are print step-by-step -step instructions in the training binder, she scolded. 
or get the girls to help you, Lida huffed, put out by the procedure. Can't you help me? No, I can't submit a leave request for you. I can, however, approve your leave request when you submit it, Cora stated. Lida made a show of stomping out of the break room. Cora rolled her eyes. She was well aware the staff didn't like her. She could tell by the way they hushed when she emerged from her office. They went to the Bighorn Bar's happy hour as a group every Friday after work, inviting spouses and significant others, but not Cora. She overheard them crack inside jokes and knew she was definitely not on the inside to understand them. At first, Cora thought they left her out because she didn't engage in the girl's mindless chatter and frivolous conversations about celebrities and hair highlights. But then they included Blake in their shenanigans and he didn't have any interest in those topics. Cora knew their lack of inclusivity was because they didn't like her. Though it secretly hurt Cora's feelings, she told herself her employees needed to respect her, not like her, in order for her to be an effective boss. Cora carried the enormous coffee tumbler to her office. She closed the door to mute the lobby noise. She already had a headache. Knock, knock. Blake tapped his knuckle on the office's glass wall. Cora groaned and took off her sunglasses. She reluctantly signaled for him to come in. Hey, sorry, he said, seeing the annoyed look on her face. Do I need to print materials for the conference tomorrow, or will electronic copies work? Shit. It was Wednesday today. Cora completely forgot about the community bankers conference they were required to attend on Thursday and Friday. The two-day training was being held at a Marriott hotel and conference center in the city three hours from Mountain Town. Instead of admitting she didn't know the required format, Cora was curt. Why don't you check the confirmation email for details? Blake tucked his tail and retreated from her office. Good riddance, she thought. Why can't anyone do anything for themselves? Two, Cora checked the mail on the way home from work. It was mostly junk, sales flyers and promos, except for a five by seven white linen envelope. She knew her mom's handwriting by heart. Cora had grown up in Mountain Town. Her childhood home was less than five minutes from where she lived now, but her parents mailed her birthday card, nevertheless, probably because she saw them so infrequently. Her mom's neediness was draining. Her dad was ornery and took a lot of patience to put up with. Patience Cora did not have. Cora opened the card and began reading, To Our Daughter on Your Birthday. The hallmark message was sappy and uncharacteristic of Cora and her emotionally unattached relationship with her parents. She had to remind herself that the thought counted for something. Thanks for the B-Day card, she texted her mom. Texting avoided calling or stopping by. Have plans for your birthday weekend? Her mother texted back cheerfully. Bank conference in the city. By yourself? No loan officer too. Blake? Yes, he seems nice. Her mom subtly reminded Cora that she was single and should be looking for a nice man. He is a child. Cora texted back to halt the proposition. Not much younger than you. I'm turning 40. He's 28. 12 years age gap is nothing when you get to be my age. Gross, I bet he wouldn't think so, her mom suggested. Anyways, Cora steered the conversation away from her lack of love life. I know you'll be working, but I hope you find time for fun on your birthday. XOXO, her mother signed off. It was far more likely that Cora would return from the conference and spend her birthday weekend working and moping around the house, drinking too much wine, and scrolling other people's InstaPerfect lives on the gram. 
Everyone she graduated high school with had gotten married, had 2.5 children, and a beautiful home with two new cars parked in its double garage. Ten years ago, Cora was well on her way to the same white picket fence life. Cora met Matt while they were studying at Texas Tech in Lubbock. He was in his last year of law school, and she was finishing up an undergraduate degree in business. Matt proposed marriage after graduation. He would go to work at his father's law firm, specializing in family law. After the wedding, Cora planned to work alongside her husband as the firm's office manager and bookkeeper. The end of their engagement halted her career plan. No fiancé, no job, and no school to return to in fall. Cora returned to Mountaintown to stay with her parents while she figured out next steps. She saw a job advertisement for Mountaintown Bank Manager in the local paper. Experience in management and the finance industry would look good on her resume. She didn't intend to turn the job into a career. Yet here she was, still single, still working at the bank, 10 years later. Cora didn't particularly like or dislike her job. The hours, salary, and benefits were good. After 10 years being back home in Mountaintown, she didn't want to live anywhere else. At the same time, working at a small bank in a rural town was lonely. She hadn't had luck meeting a special someone or finding friends. In fact, Cora hadn't been on a single date since she called off the engagement. From what she could see on social media, Matt was one of those people from her past, living their best life. He had met and married someone else. They had three cute kids. He had a lucrative career at his father's firm. Cora wanted to be happy for him. It wasn't like she still had feelings for him. She had never loved Matt. Cora loved the idea of Matt and the packaged life he would have given her. She was glad they discovered they weren't right for one another sooner rather than later. Nevertheless, she envied the full and prosperous life he'd made for himself while she stayed stuck. Three, Cora and Blake had to get an early start on Thursday morning to make it to the conference opening session. Cora insisted on driving her car. She hated the idea of being at the conference center without the autonomy to come and go as she pleased. They checked into the hotel, dropped their bags in their rooms, and had a few minutes to freshen up before the kickoff luncheon. After lunch, Blake took to the lender's track while Cora attended management and operations sessions. She had a hard time keeping her mind from wandering. Today was her 40th birthday, and aside from her parents, not a single person, near or online, had wished her a happy birthday. She didn't hold it against Blake. He didn't know it was her birthday. Nobody she worked with did. Ironically, the title of her session was Human Capital. As the speaker flipped through slides, Cora thought about her own human capital deficit. She had hundreds of Facebook friends and Instagram followers, but her online friends were former classmates and college friends that she'd lost touch with. She'd done nothing to sustain those relationships as life changed. Human capital was exactly like financial capital. If you don't make deposits, you can't make withdrawals. Cora reunited with Blake in the hotel lobby after the last sessions of the day. I'm usually not eager for networking events, but the Bankers Association goes all out, Cora told Blake. Tonight's theme is virtual reality. I'm pumped to try the gunship battle VR. Blake sounded like an overgrown kid. Cora was less interested in video games and more interested in the mixology mix-off. Cora already had a couple glasses of wine before taste-testing mixed drinks. 
By the time the competition was over, she was loose-lipped and fancy-free. Blake sampled drinks too, but drank much less and held his liquor better. He tried to rein Cora in when she talked too loud and stood too close to the VP of bank shares, but she seemed determined to make a spectacle of herself. Early morning conference sessions. Better turn in for the night. Blake lightly took her elbow and led her away from the techno-virtual reality dance game. What did you do that for? Cora sputtered as he steered her away from the crowd. You should get some rest. Blake ushered her towards the exit. God damn it, Blake. I was just starting to have fun. It's nearly midnight, Blake said, trying to save face. Don't treat me like a child. I am your boss. Cora slurred as she shook her finger at him. And today is my birthday. I can party if I want to. They exited the event center and found Cora's car in the parking lot. Blake took Cora's keys from her hand. I'll drive back to the hotel. He helped Cora into the passenger side of her car. Did you not hear me? She said accusingly. It is my birthday. Happy birthday. Blake shut the passenger door in her face, annoyed by Cora's outburst. You are an asshole, she told him as he got into the driver's seat and buckled his seatbelt. Everyone are assholes. No one wished me a happy birthday. Blake said nothing. What's your problem? Cora tried to rile him. I don't have a problem. You have a stick up your ass. Then, Blake shook his head slightly, trying to contain his growing anger and maintain professional bearing with his boss. Say what's on your mind. Cora turned to glare at him. You know what? I will because you won't remember it anyway. You are my problem, Cora. You know why no one wished you a happy birthday? because you suck as a boss and you suck as a person. Is that so? Yep, everybody thinks so. Everybody as in your friends, Cora countered. At least I have friends. You don't like anyone and nobody likes you. Cora, even in her drunkenness, knew he was right. Now she was the silent one. Blake wasn't done. You don't care about anyone but yourself. Yes, I do. Oh, really? Do you know that Lida is taking all that leave for chemotherapy? She has breast cancer. Jeanette's deadbeat boyfriend is in jail. Chrissy is pregnant. I'm engaged to be married. Oh, Cora felt sheepish. No, I didn't know those things. Right. You didn't know because you are only interested in yourself and your sad life. His words were painful, honest, and true. Emily, my fiancé, and I were working on wedding invites last night. She asked how many people from work will be on the guest list. I told her Lida, Chrissy, and Jeanette, but left you off. Why? Cora asked. She couldn't bring herself to look at him, so she stared out the window into the dark sky. Are you kidding? You wouldn't come. Or you'd come and resent me for inviting you. It's the way you are. That is exactly what would have happened, Cora thought, though she didn't admit it to Blake. I'm sorry, Cora said. The rest of the ride was silent. Blake parked Cora's car. They walked into the lobby without saying a word. Then Blake turned to ask, Can you make it to your room? Yes. Okay, then, he said without emotion, and turned to take the stairs to avoid an awkward elevator ride together. Cora entered the elevator and pressed the button for the fifth floor. Feeling queasy, she clutched the handrail and leaned back on the elevator wall until the doors opened. She found her room. Cora fumbled with the card key. It took a few tries to get inside. When she did, she closed the door behind her. Tears fell like a fountain the moment she was alone. I'm the problem, Cora realized. She'd known it all along, but it hurts so much to hear. How had she ignored Lida has cancer? Janet has problems at home. Chrissy is having a baby. Blake is getting married. Of course they didn't like her. 
She'd ignored the fact they are thinking, feeling people, not merely her employees. She'd thought that keeping emotions out of the workplace was a good management practice. Now she realized it was also armor for self-preservation. Cora didn't remove her cocktail dress or makeup before falling into bed. A few hours of much-needed sleep would sober her up so she could find a solution. Ever Blake. Cora glimpsed him leaving breakfast and headed to his morning session. Cora skipped breakfast to take a longer shower and try to hide the bags under her eyes with extra makeup. Blake whipped around upon hearing her voice. She saw panic on his face as she jogged up to him. Good morning, he said tentatively. Not really a good one for me, Cora said in a self-deprecating way. I owe you an apology and a cup of coffee. Can I talk you into skipping your first session? Sure, he said with hesitation. He knew he didn't really have a choice. There is a Starbucks down the hall, Cora said. She chose a table in the corner, out of earshot, and away from the distracting comings and goings of customers. Blake and Cora sat opposite one another, cradling their warm coffees. I have four things to say. First, I'm sorry for my behavior last night. I had too much to drink and embarrassed myself in front of everyone, she said in a hushed tone. Second, thank you for saving me from myself. The way I've treated you in the past, you could have left me to ruin myself. I'm glad you didn't. It's okay, he excused her behavior. No, it wasn't fair or right, she said. Blake nodded acknowledgement. Third, as painful as it was to hear the truth, I needed to hear it. I was harsh, Blake said guiltily. No, Blake, you were right on. You brought blind spots to my attention. I can't change unless I see myself through others' eyes. You helped me do that last night. I guess I overestimated the extent to which my internal state is detectable to y'all and the extent to which y'all notice and evaluate my crappy behavior. I thought my professional facade was hiding the fact I'm really lonely and unhappy. Instead of hiding it, I've taken it out on you and the girls at work. Blake didn't say a word, but he relaxed his shoulders, a clue he'd let his guard down. It might be too late to repair the damage, but I'm going to be the boss y'all deserve. Starting now, I hope it's not too late. It's not too late. Blake offered a reassuring smile. Maybe, Cora worried out loud, men hold fewer grudges than women. She implied the tellers might not be so quick to forgive. Ain't that the truth? Blake laughed. But in this case, I think a genuine apology will go a long way. An apology and committed change, Cora added. I'll need your help. Keep telling me the truth. Hold me accountable. I can do that. Blake rose from the table and held out his hand to shake. Cora shook it. As they walked out of the Starbucks, Cora said, I forgot to tell you the fourth thing. Congrats on the engagement. Thanks. Hope you'll come to the wedding, Blake answered. I will, Cora promised. One apology down, three to go. V, the explosion of emotion and subsequent heart-to-heart -to, -heart to repair the damage created a new, relaxed way of interacting with Blake. The drive back to Mountain Town Friday night was enjoyable. They listened to country classics and discovered they both liked horror movies. See you Monday, he said when she dropped him off at his apartment. You should really take the entire weekend off. It'll be good for you. Baby steps, Blake, she warned. Have a good weekend. Cora was relieved she had the weekend to come up with a way to both apologize and forge a way forward with the tellers. Intuitively, she knew a simple sorry wouldn't be enough. She had to treat them like people, not employees. She was sure she could do that. The hard change would be to share her real self with them. She didn't know her real self, 
Despite Blake's pleading, Cora went into the bank on Saturday to clear her inbox and catch up after her absence at the conference. The first email she noticed was a pending leave request from Lida. She cringed, thinking about her sour response to Lida in the break room the week before. Though there were stark differences in their personalities, intensified by generational differences, Cora didn't dislike Lida, and she certainly didn't wish ill upon her. She approved the request and planned to arrive early Monday to talk with Lida before the rest of the staff arrived. Lida was the first person in the bank every morning. Cora was usually the last. So she set her alarm a half hour early. Cora thought about what she wanted to say as she drove to the bank. She had to be strategic with her communication. She didn't want to out Blake for telling her about Lida's condition or want Lida to think she was only being personable to Lida because she was sick. Just me. Cora called as she entered the bank. The front door was still locked and the alarm set. She disarmed it. Cora knew Lida would be in the walk-in safe, preparing the cash drawers. Cora set her things down and walked into the safe. Oh, Lida said, surprised to see Cora. You're early today. She was gruff and seemed annoyed by Cora interrupting her morning routine. Maybe this wasn't a good idea after all, Cora thought and took a step back. She knew better than to expect the girls to embrace their born-again boss with open arms. Just because Cora apologized and pledged to be better didn't mean she would act on her revelation. I was hoping we could talk for a few minutes. Whenever you have time, I'll be in my office. Fifteen minutes passed before Lida appeared in Cora's office doorway. Come in, Cora motioned her to sit. Lida sat, her brow furrowed, either worried or confused why she was there and what Cora wanted to talk about. I approved your leave request in the portal. Thanks for submitting it online. Well, now I have to figure out how to cancel it. My daughter was going to drive me to an appointment, but she can't now. I'll have to reschedule. You can't drive yourself? Cora asked. Lida didn't seem to have trouble getting around, despite her serious diagnosis. Doctor's orders, she explained. Treatment requires a driver. What is the treatment? Cora played dumb. Intravenous chemotherapy. I have breast cancer. Lida's voice cracked. I'm sorry. Me too. Lida took a deep breath to steady her voice. Cora paused, then said, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye. Because of that, I've been unfair to you in the past, not giving you credit for all you do at the bank, especially the support you give the girls, even while you're sick. Lida sat back and crossed her arms like she could not believe the words were coming from Cora. Cora continued, it's time I return the favor. I can drive you to the appointment this week. Are you sure? Lida was still stunned by her boss's demeanor. Yes, I'm happy to help, but I'm not very good at knowing what people need, Cora admitted. If you need fewer hours, more rest, anything, please ask. Thank you, Lida's face softened. Be sick, best get it over with, Cora thought. She spent two hours writing out what she wanted to say to her staff and rehearsed saying it in her head. Still, when it actually came time for the meeting, Cora's heart raced and hands felt clammy. She knew she'd been the problem and was sure they knew it too, but that didn't make it easier to admit to the people she'd hurt and ask for their forgiveness. Cora would prefer to forget the past and focus on the future, but they deserved an explanation and apology, and she hoped both would convince them she committed to change for the long term. Here goes nothing, she thought, as Lida, Jeanette, Chrissy, and Blake gathered around her. In the past, a meeting had meant a scolding, 
The stone-like looks on their faces suggested they were expecting to be reprimanded. Thanks for taking time today, she said, to lighten the mood. Her throat felt dry. She had no problem speaking in front of the rotary, chamber, and other groups, but showing vulnerability to her staff was terrifying. As y'all know, we attended a two-day community banking conference last week. Cora looked at Blake. He gave an encouraging nod. The conference prompted an epiphany about the way I am at work, the way I treat you all. It's not the boss you deserve or the boss I want to be. Lida, Jeanette, and Chrissy exchanged glances, not confirming or denying her statement. I asked for the meeting today because I feel terrible about the way I've treated y'all. I've seen you as employees, not people. The worst part is that I was totally blind to it until now. I owe each of you an apology and a promise to do better. It hasn't been that bad. Jeanette attempted to reduce the tension. Lida shoved her elbow into Jeanette, urging her to not let Cora off the hook. I know you're trying to make me feel better, Jeanette, but I don't deserve it. If it makes you feel better, we've noticed a change since you got back from the conference. Chrissy threw Cora a bone. Thanks, I'm trying, and I'm going to keep trying, Cora promised. I've been this way for 40 years. I might slip. When I do, I need y'all to tell me. Cora held her hand up as if taking an oath. I promise there will be no repercussions. Be careful what you wish for. Lida wagged her finger at Cora. Cora chuckled. I want work to be a good environment for all of us. I want you to leave feeling like you've put in a good day, not feeling defeated or dreading coming back. I want this place to feel like we are all in it together, Cora said. It sounds cheesy, but I want to be a boss you feel comfortable coming to, professional and personal. Chrissy looked misty. Sorry, pregnancy hormones. Congrats on the baby, by the way, Cora said. Chrissy smiled at the acknowledgement. The conversation faded into employee chat. This time, Cora didn't dismiss herself to her office to get back to work. Even though she'd never been married, Cora discovered listening to their wedding antics was actually entertaining, not a waste of time that she could be working. Blake's fiance, Emily's endless search for the perfect hurricane lamps for the reception tables, and Chrissy's own experience planning her wedding. Cora found she could contribute to the conversation by simply being present for it. We're going to happy hour at the Bighorn Bar after work, Lida said. Do you want to come? I recently gave up drinking, but... Me too, Chrissy said. We can have mocktails. I don't even know what that is, but I'm in. Cora accepted their invitation, and an invitation for a second chance. Sisep Cora heard soft sobs, followed by a hefty nose blow. She pressed her ear to the bathroom door. She'd got wind that Jeanette had a difficult confrontation with Brianna, her boyfriend's toddler's mom, that morning. Jeanette got herself to the bank on time, but she had a hard time holding herself together once she was there. Cora knocked softly. Just a minute, Jeanette said in a shaky voice. It's Cora. Take your time. She heard Jeanette shuffle over and unlock the door. She opened it a few inches. Jeanette had streaks of makeup left on her cheeks from crying. Sorry, I'm a mess. Do you want to talk about it? Jeanette nodded and followed Cora to the break room table. Cora scooted a box of tissue across the table to her. What happened? Brianna, Boone's ex, came to pick up his daughter Haley this morning. Apparently this month's child support didn't hit her account. She demanded I give her cash and said she wouldn't return Haley until I did. Of course she said all of this in front of Haley. Haley hates to go with her in the first place. 
when she heard her mom threaten to not bring her home, she begged me to give her mom the money. That sounds horrible. Can Brianna legally keep her from y'all? Cora asked. Jeanette sighed. Honestly, I don't know the specifics of their child support and custody arrangement. I started dating Boone six months ago. The agreement was put in place nearly four years ago. What did Boone say about the missed payment and Brianna demanding cash? That's the other problem. I can't ask him. Jeanette got choked up. Boone is in jail. He got sentenced to 30 days in jail for a DUI. I think Brianna didn't get child support this month because the child support is an electronic transfer from Boone's paycheck. He hasn't been to work because he's in jail. Brianna doesn't know Boone is in jail. He usually leaves for work before she picks up Haley, so I doubt she suspects anything. I can't let her find out. She'll use the information as leverage to take Haley away from us. Cora fought back the urge to question why Jeanette, an attractive, nice girl, was willing to carry all of Boone's baggage. She could do much better. Saying that would be old Cora, Cora thought better of it and continued listening instead. Maybe I should just give her the money to buy time until Boone is out. He'll know what to do, Jeanette said, full of hope. But if you give Brianna cash, there is no record of the payment. Brianna could pocket the money and still claim Boone owes her. I didn't think of that, Jeanette said, defeated. I know you don't want Brianna to find out that Boone is in jail, but you can't hide it from her. DUI arrests are public record. Cora thought back to conversations she'd had with Matthew about it. Matthew, she thought. He'll know what to do. She hadn't had contact with Matt since she'd broken off their engagement 10 years ago, but his firm had a reputation as the best family law practice in the West. She would set aside her pride and ask for a favor for Jeanette. I have an attorney friend that might help, Cora offered. At the very least, he can tell you the best way to handle the child support situation. OMG, thank you, Jeanette told Cora. If nothing else, talking to someone who knows their stuff will make me feel better. Cora went to her office and opened her email. She got Matt's email address from the firm's website. She took a deep breath and tapped out an email to Matt with a few details about the situation. Cora read the draft before hitting send. It sounded cold and distant, too formal for an email to an ex-fiancé slash old friend. She began again, replacing Matthew with Dear Matt and apologizing for losing touch before she got to the gist. She complimented Matt's beautiful family, said he looked great, and told him it warmed her heart to know he'd built a happy life. Cora explained Jeanette, her employee, needed counsel regarding her boyfriend's custody arrangement and child support. Matt's firm was in the city. Cora asked if he would meet with Jeanette via Zoom to make it faster and easier to connect. I'd like to cover the fee for a consultation, she offered, and provided both her and Jeanette's cell phone numbers. Matt's response came via text. So good to hear from you. No need to cover the fee. I am happy to help a friend. I'll text Jeanette now to arrange a time. It's great to hear from you. Cora relaxed back in her chair. Making amends had a trickling effect in her life. Reconciling with Blake led to patching things up with Lida. Helping Jeanette created harmony with Matthew. Apologizing was the first step. The second was to demonstrate her new way of interacting with people she cared about. Cora benefited from getting to know her staff and herself better in the months following the conference. She continued to seek feedback from Blake and the others. She dove deep into self-reflection, 
and identified her real values were not professionalism and respect, but connection and presence. Cora still contended with knee-jerk emotional reactions, but now she caught herself having them and redirected her behavior before inflicting them on others. Cora hung an it's-a-boy banner across the cupboards in the break room. The baby's gender sealed the deal on the name Skylar and the Star Wars nursery theme that Chrissy's nerdy husband preferred. I was hoping for a girl, the name Ivy, and a vine theme, she admitted, but we're planning on having at least two, so I'll put that one in the bank. Chrissy chuckled. Cora set a platter of starship cookies on the break room table. She finished decorating the room with star garlands and blue and silver twinkle lights. The team was gathering for a mini baby shower on Chrissy's last day before maternity leave. Chrissy was overdue, and her doctor scheduled her to be induced on Monday if she didn't go into labor over the weekend. Chrissy and Cora had become close during the latter half of Chrissy's pregnancy. Cora was going to miss her while she was on maternity leave, but Chrissy planned to return to work part-time in a month. Lida's treatments had intensified, forcing her to reduce her hours to part-time as well. It put Cora in a crunch, but she was far more concerned about their health and happiness to express her concern about staffing. Fortunately, Blake's fiancée, Emily, accepted a teller position and began training with Lida before Chrissy's departure. Emily had worked in pharmaceutical sales and wanted a normal nine-to-five, anticipating she and Blake would start a family right away once they got married. Cora had the break room looking like a bona fide Star Destroyer ship when Chrissy and her husband, Emily and Blake, Lida, Jeanette, and Cora arrived. Ready for the big reveal? Cora asked after they'd enjoyed lunch. She rolled a stroller-car-seat combo into the room. Cora had pre-assembled it and placed a plush baby Yoda in the car seat and tied a giant bow on the handle. This is from all of us, Cora said as she pushed it over to the couple. Chrissy squealed with delight. Emily did the research on the best strollers and this one checked out. She nodded towards Emily. Emily beamed at her boss. Cora was grateful she'd been able to start off on the right foot with Emily as a new employee. She wondered what Blake had told Emily about old Cora as a boss. That stroller might as well be a spaceship. I never had a buggy that fancy when my daughter was little, Lida said. Just wait until Skylar is a toddler, Janet said. Toys are so high-tech. Haley has a 12-volt kids ride on Barbie Jeep. It plays music and has a seatbelt. Matthew's meeting with Jeanette helped her communicate with the child support division on behalf of Boone and avoid a potential contempt of court judgment that could have resulted in another six months in jail for failing to pay child support. Boone was back home now. So far, so good, Jeanette said about keeping Boone's DUI a secret from Brianna. Jeanette was the most selfless person Cora knew. Despite dealing with her boyfriend's personal problems, she took it upon herself to drop off prepared meals for Lida after treatments. She threw Emily a bachelorette party and offered to babysit for Chrissy. I think I need a WWJD bracelet to remind me to ask, what would Jeanette do? Cora joked with the group. Toast to baby Skylar, Cora lifted her glass of sweet tea. May the force be with Chrissy while she's in labor. Everyone laughed, and for the first time, Cora felt like part of the team, 